Well, let's take our Bibles and will you open them with me, please, to the book of Isaiah, chapter 6. While you're doing that, I will just briefly mention that out in the foyer area is a display of materials that we take to our prayer events. Uh, I'm not a book salesman, but I have learned that if we can provide good resources, we can put good materials in your hand it becomes a reinforcement to the pulpit ministry. And uh, you can take from here what God has begun and use that to enable it to go on. And so there's a variety of things out there. I'm not going to dwell on it a great deal, except that I would like you to know those are there. I hope you'll take some time, maybe even select an item that will be a help. Uh, It's self-serve, all right? There's a little box there. You can work it out. You say, well, what if someone steals one of your books? My conclusion is if they steal a book on prayer, they need it. So I'm not worried about it. But nonetheless, uh, I hope that'll be a help to you and uh, that you will get the benefit from it. You know, typically when a preacher walks up to the podium and says open to Isaiah 6, most of us are thinking verse 8. It's just the way we do it. Because Isaiah 6 is most frequently preached in a missions conference, maybe a stewardship conference, something of that nature. But folks, I want to make a simple point as we begin this morning, and it's this. If Isaiah had not had a revival crusade in verses 1 through 7, there never would have been a missions conference in verse 8. You see, men, one of the great truths that you learn when you study God encounters in the Word of God is that God wants to make a man usable even before he uses him. God has to do a work in a man's life before he can do a work through a man's life. In Isaiah chapter 6... We read in verse number 1, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord. Basically, Isaiah was about to get an upward look that would produce an inward look, ultimately an outward look. That's what I want to speak to you about for a few moments this afternoon in this session. God's working in so that God can work through your life. Let's ask the Lord to speak to us. Father, I sure do need your help. And I pray now that you will grant that help as I share with these men. God, I do not know who is here. I do not know the needs represented in lives. So I'm trusting that your Holy Spirit has already confirmed that this is the message for this hour. And so please... Use it. Be thorough with us, O God. Please be thorough. And have your way, I pray, and we will thank you for it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Back in the month of November, in our house, we literally gutted the plumbing system. We built a little house in the year 2000. It's just adequate for what we've needed through the years with our traveling lifestyle. 
But we've noticed over the years, now soon to be 20, that our water pressure was beginning to diminish significantly. My son-in-law is a building contractor. He had a couple days free. I said, why don't you help me? Uh, thankfully, because our house is so small, all the plumbing is basically in one area just on opposite sides of a wall or two. And so he and I went to work and we literally ripped out every piece of copper in the place. All we had was a water line coming up out of the ground from the well. We put it all in new. Went in the bathroom, put in all new fixtures. Put in a whole new sink, water fixtures in the kitchen. Totally did it brand new. I could not believe how neat it was to fill the tub in less than seven minutes. You think I'm being funny, but it used to be about 40. I couldn't believe how neat it was to take a shower and actually get more than three streams hitting you. In fact, you get hit hard enough to just kind of stand you backwards. This was great. And, and for the last two months, my wife and I have loved water pressure again. That is until the other day. When I, early in the morning, was rinsing out my little infuser that I used to make my cup of tea first thing in the morning, and I turned on the sink, and there's this little tiny stream. And I thought, now that's funny. Wonder what's going on. Well, I waited and I fooled with the faucet a time or two. It's brand new. And eventually got a little more of a stream. And I thought, well, who knows? You know how it goes. Funny things happen. A couple hours later, I'm not home. I'm out and about. I get a text from my wife. She said, I'm trying to take a bath and the tub won't fill. I thought, oh, great. She said, it's like it used to be. Well, I came home a little bit later from wherever I had been, and I thought, all right, I better check it out. And sure enough, the water stream, I mean, you'd flush the potty, it would hardly refill, you could... And then all of a sudden, I thought, wait a minute. The filter. And so I crawled in the little water closet behind the washer and dryer, and opened up that inline filter, and oh my word, the thing was all clogged with some kind of dirt and who knows what sediment and I don't know what all else. And I took it out, put that cover back on, opened the water line again, and water pressure. You know, in some ways, what I did was so simple. But in other ways, it was so significant. You know what had happened? There was a blockage in the system. A blockage in the line. The source could not be reached. And it had to be cleared. Fellas, don't let me oversimplify this too much. But I wonder if it's not true that sometimes you and I as well need to change the filter. 
You know what Proverbs 4 says, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. And then the heart gets contaminated, or the heart gets corrupted, or the heart gets defiled, or the heart gets dirty, and what happens? It's almost like a shutdown. We need to come clean. As we come to the book of Isaiah chapter 6 today, we have a man in front of us who needed a filter change. It's interesting that in the passage of Scripture, though it's a rather short chapter, there are three key words. One of them is in verse 5. It's the word woe. It's used when Isaiah saw the glory. The second key word in this chapter is in verse 7, and it's the word low. And it's used when Isaiah felt the fire. The third word is in verse 9, and it's the word go. And it's used when Isaiah heard the call. But all three of these words center around this experience that Isaiah had of coming clean, of becoming usable. Man, I want to show you how God did it, all right? I want to just take some time, take a few moments, just go through this story, and I want to highlight for you eight specific things all eight of them begin with the letter C. It's an easy outline, each point, one word. But I want you to see today what God did in Isaiah's life, but I want you to see it because it may well be that God's trying to do some of these same things in some of our lives. Notice, if you will, that the first thing that was a part of Isaiah's meeting with God was a crisis. We've already read it. Verse number one, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord. If you go to 2 Chronicles chapter 26, here's what you find. Uzziah was a good and a godly king. He really was. That is until verse 16 says, he was strong and his heart was lifted up. We're then given the account of an incident that occurred during the kingship of Uzziah. The Bible tells us that Uzziah went to the temple went into the holy place, went over to the altar of incense, and there he took a censer of incense in his hand and sought to burn it to offer incense to God. Incense was used to fill the atmosphere of the holy place with this incredible aroma, beautiful aroma 
just outside the Holy of Holies where the glory of God dwelt. There was only one problem. Uzziah was a king. And that job, that assignment had been given to the priests. Get the picture, if you will. It's described in 2 Chronicles 26 as the priests come into the holy place. They follow Uzziah there. They tell him, no, this is not God's way. You're a king, not a priest. Do you know what the Bible says? Uzziah became angry. Do you know what I've discovered? When people are confronted with the truth, they either get mad or they get right. Isaiah, or I'm sorry, Uzziah became angry. Do you know that it was at that very moment that suddenly on his body the sores of leprosy began to appear and suddenly he's unclean there in the holy place of the temple, not just disobeying, but defiling the place. And he's removed from the temple and he's put into a condition of physical as well as spiritual isolation as he basically waited for his life to be eaten away by an incurable disease, and then he died. You say, what a tragedy. Yes, for Uzziah. But isn't it interesting that God, as God so often does, was going to take a human tragedy and create a divine opportunity. Folks, isn't it amazing how when a crisis, a tragedy, a difficulty, adversity comes in our life, we're so quick to often say, dear God, please get me out of this. When maybe we ought to pray, God, what can I get out of this? Oh, it's not that any of us pray for trouble in our lives. But it is important to understand that trouble is God's tool to teach us to trust. And God may be using that for a purpose. When I was a teenager, some of you will remember the film Sheffy, the story of Robert Sheffy, the, the circuit-riding preacher of the Shenandoah Valley and the Shenandoah Mountains in Virginia. And that story, the film and his biography deeply impacted my life. Robert Sheffy was an amazing man of prayer and I remember reading in the biography of the account one day Brother Sheffy's riding through the mountains he hears pounding hoof prints a horse comes riding up beside him a young man is on the horse calling out Brother Sheffy Brother Sheffy you need to come please come and pray for us. Brother Sheffy said, what's the problem, son? He said, my brother's been bitten by a rattlesnake and my father sent for you to come pray. Sheffy turns his horse, follows the lad back to the homestead. He enters the home to find this young man in very serious condition. 
Mother, father, family gathered. Please pray, Brother Sheffy. Brother Sheffy, in his classic way, paused and looked at the father and said, Sir, have you ever prayed before? No, sir. Ma'am, have you ever prayed? No. He said, then I'll pray. He bowed his head and he said, Dear God, thank you for this rattlesnake. He said, now if you have to, dear God, send another one to bite the father. Send another one to bite the mother. Because for the first time in their lives today, because of this rattlesnake, they're praying. You say, that's a bit extreme. Well, it would have been if I'd have tried it. Brother Sheffy could get away with it. The point is clear. See, sometimes God uses a crisis to do something that wouldn't happen any other way. Do you know what had happened to Isaiah? Isaiah, like we human beings so often do, had become very focused on a good and godly king. But listen, in the process, he took his eyes off of God. And God removed that king, yes, in response to his own rebellion, but in the process was going to accomplish something in Isaiah's life, which is the second thing in this list. After the crisis came the confrontation, I saw also the Lord. Men and women often have to be reminded that where our eyes are looking has a lot to do with where our hearts are going. Isaiah saw the Lord. But notice what he saw. Verse 1, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up and his train filled the temple. We might say that Isaiah saw the highness of God, his position. This train that is referenced here that filled the temple typically was a royal robe a symbol of royalty. He first sees God in a very exalted position. But notice, not only did he see God's highness, he saw God's holiness. We're given a very, very interesting view. Verse 2, above it, above the throne, stood the seraphims. Seraphims are literally burning ones, angelic-like beings. Each one had six wings. With twain, he covered his face, a picture of reverence in the presence of God. And with twain, he covered his feet, a picture of humility in the presence of God. And with twain, he did fly, a picture of service in the presence of God. But notice verse 3, And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. 
the highness of God, that was his position. The holiness of God, that was his perfection. Suddenly, God is seen in Isaiah's life in a way he'd never experienced it before. High and holy. A number of years ago, I got a phone call from a pastor. He asked if I would be able to come preach in his church. Interestingly enough, I had preached in his church already. In fact, I'd preached in his church before he was in his church. He said, would you be interested? I said, yes. He said, well, let me ask you a question. He said, someone told me that you said that we needed a revival of the holiness movement. Is that true? Now, if I'd have been sharp, I'd have said, you tell me who told you, and I'll tell you whether or not I said it. But it just, at the moment, it slipped past me. And I said something like this. Well, I'm quite certain I have never said that we needed a revival of the holiness movement, but I said I have preached many times we need a revival of a movement of holiness. You say, well, holiness is a little old-fashioned. It is, but it's not out of date. Isaiah saw God. But you know what the immediate response was? Here's the third thing, conviction. He's seen God, now he sees himself. It's interesting, when you go to verse 5, he said, woe is me. A woe was a legal charge. It was basically a statement of condemnation. I'm ruined. I'm as good as dead. Do you realize that in the previous chapters, Isaiah had already pronounced eight woes on individuals or nations? Do you realize that in the following chapters, 12 more times, Isaiah pronounces woes on individuals or nations? But you know what's amazing? In Isaiah 6, the woe is on himself. The woe is on himself. And the reason is because when he saw God as he truly was, he saw himself as he truly was. It was Matthew Henry who said, a glimpse of heavenly glory is enough to convince us that all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Man sins because of a low view of God and a high view of self. It was only when Isaiah heard, holy is he, that he declared, woe is me. The holiness of God overwhelmed him with the unholiness of himself. And when he saw how holy God was, he saw how, un or how holy he wasn't. Could it be that often our inflated, out-of-proportion views of ourselves are because our standard of measurement has been the guy sitting in the pew next to us or the people living in the house across the street from us or the guys in the break room at work with us. 
But when you begin to measure your own standing, your own stature next to the perfect standard of a holy God, infinitely pure, suddenly Romans 3.10 just doesn't apply to the dudes hanging out doing drugs or the guys sitting in the bar or locked in a jail cell. Oh, we're so quick to claim for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But you know what's interesting? It doesn't matter whether you're an unsaved sinner or a saved sinner. It is always your sin that causes you to come short of the glory of God. But that quickly we move to a fourth thing. By the way, that was Romans 3.23, not 3.10. Caught it. Number four, there was confession. And men, may I quickly say, right here is where we often get hung up. It was time for Isaiah to respond. Verse five, woe is me, I am undone. That's not easy to say. That's not easy to say because most of us are programmed to be masters of good impressions and those impressions are never better than when we're at church. Never better than when we're with other believers or other preachers Why? Because it's just human nature at its worst to try and make the badness of self look good. And yet the Bible still makes it so clear that confession is agreeing with God about my sin and it's confession that is necessary to deal with our sin. One of the things that we are doing this year in our ministry, this spring we're doing, we're, I'm hosting what I call Pastor's Oasis meetings. It's just three hours, 10 to 1. Uh, it's just a get together for a couple hours. We're sharing together on the subject of the pastor's prayer life and then uh, we get together to pray and, and we do what we call the how do we pray for you prayer meeting method. I have seven of these scheduled this spring. Just had one last week, have one again next week. The other week I was sitting in a group of five preachers, including myself. And we're starting into this and I remember getting, I think, to the third man in the group and saying, brother, how do we pray for you? And He never even really lifted his head. He just spoke and he said, you know, I'm super structured, scheduled, organized, disciplined. Still didn't look up. But he said, you know, that has a tendency to create a great deal of self-sufficiency for me. And he said, my self-sufficiency has short circuited, shortcut, I don't remember the exact terminology, limited my praying. He was done. 
You know what my reaction is at a moment like that? Wow, God bless you, brother. Let's pray. And we did. Oh, I'm not even certain what it was in Isaiah's life that was the specifics of sin. He does mention of being a man of unclean lips. He talks about dwelling in the midst of a people of unclean lips. But he gets honest with God about his sin. Brethren, is there an area of sin today that has plugged the filter in your life? You say, like what? All right, let me ask you a couple questions. Could it be that you've been defiled by unconfessed sin? Could it be that you have been deceived by secret sin? Could it be that you have been defeated by habitual sin? Could it be that you have been dominated by presumptuous sin? Could it be that you are distracted by besetting sin? Oh, don't answer out loud. It's none of my business. You don't have to raise your hand and say, it's me, it's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. That's not the point. The point is, at this very moment, what is God's Holy Spirit putting His finger on in your life? Isaiah had experienced a crisis. He'd experienced the confrontation. Then came the conviction. Now comes the confession. But it's that filter change that's taking place. And so number five, we come to this key word, cleansing. Verse six, then flew one of those seraphims unto me having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. That seraphim left his divine flight pattern, goes to the altar, takes a live coal, brings it, verse 7, and laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin Purged. Men, can I give to you today some of the best word I know? It goes something like this. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. Oh, you say we sing that one at the rescue mission. I know. That's a good one for the county jail service too, isn't it? But I got news for you. For any man that walked into a prayer, and con prayer conference or a prayer advance or a prayer encounter or, or whatever it may be, who today has a clogged filter that needs cleaned, there is a fountain and it doesn't matter. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanseth us 
from all sin, the word of God says. Isaiah had a cleansing. What an incredible moment to be squeaky clean in the presence of God. It's interesting that we're already through five points in the message. And we still haven't gotten to that missions conference verse, have we? But that one's next. The sixth thing that we see in this story about this meeting with God is the word call. Verse 8. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? It's almost like God had taken a vessel. And like we read in 2 Timothy 2.21, God had made it sanctified and fit or meet for the master's use. Man, God doesn't use dirty vessels. Maybe you've been praying, oh God, I just want to be used. God, where can I serve? How can I be a part of the Lord's work? How can I help the pastor? What can I do? No, no. God doesn't use dirty vessels. And there has to be a cleansing. But once there has been a cleansing, then came the call, which leads number seven right into the consent. Here am I, send me. Isaiah was usable, now he could be used. No hesitation, no reservation, no qualification, no limitation, no termination. All in for God. Which leads right into the, ninth, or the eighth thing, the commission. It's in verse 9, go and tell. Go and tell. Folks, the other day... When I couldn't get the water to flow, I was frustrated. I was even a little irritated. I was perplexed. What do you mean? We spent a lot of money to put in all new water lines and all new plumbing fixtures. And it's been so good and it just quit. You know what? It was a quick fix, but it had to be fixed. And when that dirty filter was taken out, it was great again. You know, I wonder if there are some of us today who walked into this place and maybe without even realizing it, there was something that's not right. Maybe you've noticed it. Maybe it's just not the way it used to be or the way it should be and you've been going, God, what is it? Could it be, brethren, sin that is unconfessed or secret or habitual or presumptuous or even besetting? And today, God's wanting us to look at Him as our holy standard and say, now you de deal with that sin and I'll cleanse you. Y you know what's amazing to me? I don't believe the Bible teaches the concept of sinless perfection. 
But I do believe the Bible teaches that you and I can be as holy as God is. For one thing, He commands us to. And it's possible when you hate sin the way God hates it, treat sin the way God treats it, and call sin what God calls it. When Isaiah did that, everything changed. And we move on from chapter 6, and you know the rest of the story. Let's bow our heads. Let's be quiet before the Lord. Brethren, I know that in just a few minutes we're going to leave this meeting and enter into a, a private appointment with God. But I wonder... Even before we get to the four o'clock hour, which is just a few minutes away, could it be that already God has pointed at an area of sin in our lives? God knows it, and we know it, and it needs to be cleansed. I'm just going to ask, brother over there at the piano, if you have an invitation hymn, you could quietly play. If you would maybe just begin to play and we could just be quiet for a moment. Maybe you need to just get up out of your seat and walk down here to the front of this auditorium and get down on your knees and say, God, this is it. Maybe you want to just turn and kneel there at your seat. That's fine. I don't care where. But at least for the next moment or two, could we just let this room be like a big spiritual bathtub? And if there's something today that's needing to be confessed and needing to be cleansed, why don't you just let God do that right here, right now? So that you can get up off your knees clean and ready to go to your appointment with a holy God. My Father, I'm so thankful that uh, we can come before you, Lord, and uh, knowing that in your presence uh, there is the sweetness of the cleansing of God. And Lord, I pray that you'd continue to speak to our hearts, Lord, and uh, that you would help us uh, um, to allow you to break down these walls in our lives, break down the opposition, Lord, give us a, a surrendered tendered heart and soul before you God I pray I pray this next hour will be a special time uh, for us to be able to be alone with you and uh, completely uh, removed from everything and everyone and only being in the presence of our God we thank you Lord in Jesus name Amen